getting a British perspective on the long-term implications of the Equifax breach. Coming up in the ISMG Security Report. Hello, I'm Eric Chabro. We're devoting today's security report to highlights from last week's panel discussion on the implications of the Equifax breach held at the ISMG Fraud and Breach Prevention Summit in London. Before we get to the highlights, let's review the basics about the breach at the Consumer Credit Reporting Agency, Equifax. The breach exposed personal information of some 145.5 million U.S. consumers. Also exposed, records of 700,000 British individuals that may have contained driver's license numbers, email addresses, phone numbers, partial credit card numbers, and sensitive information tied to online Equifax UK accounts. The breach occurred last March, but Equifax did not discover the hack until late July and didn't go public about it until early September. The breach is blamed in part by Equifax's failure to patch an open-source web applications framework known as Apache Struts, which served as a gateway for hackers to gain access to the sensitive information stored by Equifax on its servers. Now, onto the panel. My ISMG colleague, Data Breach Today, Executive Editor Matthew Schwartz, moderated this session. To discuss this, we have three esteemed panelists. We've got Christopher Greeny, Managing Director and the Head of Group Investigations and Insider Threat Program at Barclays. We have David Stubley, the CEO of Edinburgh-based Seven Elements Incident Response and Cybersecurity Consultancy. And Terry Wilson, who's the Director of Outreach for the UK and Europe, the Middle East and Africa for the Global Cyber Alliance. Chris, give us a couple of minutes of intro here and respond to the Equifax breach. I have a lot of questions, but let's get going that way, please. Look at Equifax as a breach. I then look at WannaCry, I look at Petra, I look at Deloitte. There is a sort of common theme. Blame the patching guy. You've got the CEO of Equifax in Congress saying, you know what? It's the patching guy. The patching guy didn't do it. I keep hearing patching, patching, patching. Everyone knows that patching is important. Just like everyone knows like shutting your door is important. But people aren't patching quickly. They're leaving it. They're delaying it. It's getting lost. So there seems to be a disconnect in some organizations between the sort of the technologists who put into business and the top of the business who's trying to run the business. There seems a disconnect from what I see watching Congress, watching it play out on the TV. There's one thing you can do well, do some patching. Because the next piece is you've got the CEO trying to defend his company, but he knows he should have done something that wasn't done. And I think that's going to be a difficult conversation with anyone in front of the regulator. Because I think a regulator would go, you know what, you've done everything you possibly could. It's happened. You could argue, you know, some of this is inevitable. It just depends how deep and how long for. But if you're standing they're going, you know what we should have done, we didn't do it. The patching guy, he's gone now. I think you're in a, a weak position to start with. So I think patching is really important. Next, I'd like to move to Terry Wilson, please. Organizations like Equifax and other high profile cases that we've seen are treating the general public consumers with contempt. That's actually quite sad. To add to that, we've heard today around the, the diversity, in, especially in the US, uh, in terms of data breaches, in terms of notification, etc. I understand Equifax is actually based in Georgia headquarters, and in that state, there is no time limit imposed upon notification breaches. There's one huge issue and one total contradiction to GDPR. When you then add to that, I'll use the word again, allegedly, Equifax spent $1.4 million last year fighting regulation. In terms of notification around data breaches, it then adds to this sort of uh, conspiracy theory and my support, in my personally held view, 
that organizations are treating customers like with contempt. The delay from May to the present in letting the UK know in respect of the numbers of affected UK customers is unacceptable. It raises the question, if I was a UK government, if they're not already, I would be hauling Equifax before a select committee here, specifically asking them pertinent questions in relation to the UK. Why is it that Equifax has prioritized its US customers, being obviously the, the, the volume there, but prioritizing them over the UK? That was a question that I would like to be asked. And also, why are they getting it so wrong? Their communication has been, in my opinion, dreadful. It's been inaccurate. We've started off with a minimum amount of inf uh, personal information. Then we've gone to 400,000. Then we went to 15.2 million this week. But actually, it's only 700,000 that have had information that could materially impact you. Is it my social security number, national insurance number? Because I've seen a whole list of things now, and it's totally bamboozling. It's phone numbers, driving license details, username and passwords, emails, your secret questions that you've actually provided if you're a member of Equifax. What is it in relation? It can't be that hard with technology. It can't be hard, that, especially if this happened in May and we're now sitting uh, in the middle of October, surely to actually get more accurate information in relation to your customers. So either you haven't had, you haven't done that scenario testing, you haven't got that plan in place, you don't actually have a plan to accurately report, I think is, is totally unacceptable. The public should be looking at it with some skepticism. In terms of longer term, probably, my cynical head says in 12 months time, their share price, which they've lost 18.3%, will have risen again. They'll have a new CEO in place. And this will just be, oh, that was the year that Equifax got hacked. In fact, this time next year on the panel, we'll probably be talking about another high profile case. My big question is, when are we ever gonna learn the lessons and share a really detailed incident report on how we can actually improve things instead of it going on year after year after year. Great points. David, what's your reaction? It's an amazing lesson for all of us in how not to manage an incident. We need to turn it back and say, well, can we learn from their mistakes to aid us in avoiding being in the same position in, in 12 months' time and being the next large breach uh, on a long list of breaches? You know, I'd, I'd probably challenge all of you in this room, have any of you conducted a post-incident review on Equifax as it pertains to you as an organization? When we return after this brief message, our panelists will contrast breach response in the United Kingdom with that in the United States. Notifications in relation to data breaches are disclosed quicker in the UK. This is a special edition of the ISMG Security Report. ISMG's Healthcare Security Summit will take place November 14th and 15th in New York City. Keynote address will be provided by Jim Ralph, Chief Security Officer, Aetna Global Security, followed by other industry-leading CISOs from organizations like Blue Cross Blue Shield, New York Presbyterian, Hospital for Special Surgery, and more. Visit events.ismg.io and register today. We're back. Here again is Data Breach Today Executive Editor Matthew Schwartz posing a question to Global Cyber Alliance's Terry Wilson. We were discussing this beforehand. Brought up the time it seems to have taken Equifax to reach out. You know, the notification requirements are different in all these different states. But you know, when it comes to Britain, do you see evidence that they maybe should have notified more quickly, or is it difficult to kind of backseat drive on that one? Notifications in relation to data breaches are disclosed quicker in the UK. And I actually don't know whether it's our investigative journalism. A lot of the times, and I know, and I've been involved in high-level meetings where it is, okay, we have agreed to wait 
for another 24 hours because we appreciate you doing absolutely everything in place in order to get accurate information to get it out there. And then there has been absolute chaos because I'm saying this tongue-in-cheek, but a lot of the, the breach notifications in the UK are via the BBC technology website. Now, where they're getting their source of information, I have no idea. But a lot of the times, actually, the first time that law enforcement has known about a breach is a phone call to say, have you seen the BBC technology's website? This UK company's been hacked. I'd like to get access to the BBC technology source, to be truthful. I do believe that in the UK, I think people are now working towards GDPR and there's this transition period. I think healthily, the, the notifications are earlier. I still think, though, that maybe naturally you might say it's about self-preservation. So if you don't have to reveal the breach, then people will wait as long as possible to see if it... If, if, to see if the if, news gets any better? To see if the news gets any better or any worse, <laughs> and then they make the decision based upon that. One of the things that still in GDPR I'm a bit uncomfortable with is that the regulator gets to know first within a set period of time, and then it's a, without you know, undue delay in talking to customers. We're still not being very customer-centric in terms of the impact on them, because when it's personal sensitive information, the impact is potentially on the end person. Yes, there is a, a transitory uh, hit on the share price of the, the organisation, and generally if the company doesn't go under as a result of the breach. Historically, it's been shown they will always bounce back from that, uh, and half the companies will then use it as a badge of honour of, oh, well, we knew we were attacked by some complicated nation-state threat actor. Uh, we couldn't have possibly have, have stopped this, and they, they'll play it how they want. But I think we need to start changing the dynamic on how we engage with customers and make them central to, to that. In the States, I've spoken to a lot of data breach experts, and they seem to think maybe 30 to 60 days notification is actually not a bad thing. Because so often there will be payment card data that will get lost, and they may notify the card issuers, and they'll put fraud checks in. Also, there will be instances like with Equifax where people's personal data gets lost, and they want to identify exactly what got stolen so that they can tell the consumers who for the rest of their life now need to worry about identity theft from multiple dozens overlapping breaches that many they don't even know about anymore. Long and the short is, at least they can tell them what to do or what happened exactly. So they're not trying to communicate maybe four, five, six, seven, eight updates. Because often with a breach, if they dis disclose right away, the breach count keeps going up. I mean, we saw that with Equifax. That's very typical. As they dig in, their um, worst case scenario becomes their best case scenario or what, whatever. You know, things predictably get worse. Uh, is that something that you think maybe applies to the UK or, or should we throw that happenstance model out the window? I've got one question about when you say inform the regulator. I say, which regulator? We have not in this country yet decided who the regulator is. And we think we know as a bank. For, for non-regulated entities, of which generally are ISPs, who wholly unregulated in my book, who is their regulator? Is it the ICO? Is it the telecoms regulator? I don't know. Well, I was going to ask, you know, just with the Equifax discussion, in the US, you get breached, they say, oh, so sorry, we were making money on you, you were our product, now you're our victim. Hurrah. And, you know, now for the rest of your life, you have the increased risk of identity theft. Here is an identity theft monitoring product, which won't do anything except maybe tell you when someone's already done something, right? I mean, that to me seems like the situation you're in in the US. In the UK, what's the risk that people are facing? Fear is someone takes out credit cards in your name. The fear is someone gets a password in your name. And because the only way you'll be able to find that out is if you are a customer of a Equifax or Experian who flag it up to let you know. It's slightly paradoxical, isn't it? But I mean, that's the only fear, I think, that someone uses your details for fraud because there is no crime 
on the statute books in the UK of identity theft. It's using that identity to perform fraud and other things. So fraud is the, the secondary offence. And, and I think it's worth pulling out that there will be an initial spike in inquisitive fraud off the back of this, possibly, debate, but there will equally be, and there always is in, in a lot of these events, there will more likely be a good lag of time as people sit on the information and use it to influence something that they do at a, a, a future point in time. So to write a phishing email that has the right name on it. For Social engineering. Oh, Social yeah. engineering. Uh, and then National Cyber Security Centre, part of GCHQ, NCSC, last week issued a fraud alert just saying that you're going to see a huge spike in spam. So they don't even have your data, probably, maybe, who knows. No, they, they but you're just going to pretend they do, and you're going to fall for it, so yeah. watch out. Talk Talk's a great example. So during that, during the sort of week of Talk Talk, we had loads of calls from people who said, oh, I've been defrauded. Talk Talk phoned me up to say I was a customer. And lots of people weren't the customers, so they put the phone down. But, you know, it's, you know, it's, it's whack-a-mole, isn't it? Someone will be a Talk Talk customer out there, so you'll hit the target and they'll pay the money. That's what happened. Well, I got a call last week saying I've been in an auto accident, and I said, oh, when and where? They said, have you? <laughs> Social engineering. You can have fun with those people. You can't keep them along the line as long as you can, because yeah. that's quite fun. And I, I'd be interested in views from the floor because, um, yes, as you say, everyone holds data and how, how useful is it to people. It's obviously useful because people are selling it on and, and buying it for advertising purposes, etc., etc. But in UK law, as you know, there is this term without lawful authority or reasonable excuse. So if, as we have done, I think we've had something like eight and a half million lines of personal data including passwords, count numbers, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and in the UK, that's no offence. Now, if you can't prove the network intrusion, if you can't prove that it, they have got possession of articles for fraud and they're purely sitting on a database of 8.5 million, it's no offence. Should we, should it, we're actually touting this with government to say it should be an offence. And then if that person who maybe has got a criminal background or has is, is got no connection with cybersecurity whatsoever or is sitting on this huge database, unless they can prove lawful authority or reasonable excuse, should that be a criminal offence? I think, you know, I, you I throw it out there because that we're, we're let, people are walking out of police stations, which we know, uh, but we lack that, that evidence that they've, or, or for an offence, that somebody has, has done the hack and they've purchased that information and are trading it as a, as a commodity, which we know is happening. That's still no uh, offense in the UK. You've been listening to highlights from a panel held last week at the ISMG Fraud and Breach Prevention Summit in London, featuring Barclays' Christopher Greeney, Seven Elements' David Stubley, and Global Cyber Alliance's Terry Wilson, discussing the long-term implications of the Equifax breach. Data Breach Today Executive Editor Matthew Schwartz moderated the panel. That's the ISMG Security Report. Our theme is by Ithaca Audio. I'm Eric Chabro. Catch you next time.